Hello, I am the latest smartphone. You can ask me all kinds of questions. Right now my owner is driving to church. He will have an incident of road rage when someone cuts in front of him. I wish he would ask me how to handle stress better, because going to church can help. Instead he will ask me to play the latest Taylor Swift album so he can try to shake it off. I just wish someone would ask me a deep question. I'm ready to stop driving in circles and talk about the big issues of life. Come on, let's get serious. Well, I want to welcome the, to those of you who are at our Sugarloaf campus, as well as those watching online. We are one church at two locations. Today, I am teaching from our Mill Creek campus. Our Mill Creek campus is located about 20 miles to the north of our Sugarloaf campus, and I want to encourage you to attend the campus that uh, is closest to you. Now, there's a reason why smartphones are called smartphones because they do more than just send calls and receive for calls. They actually will talk back to you and they'll actually answer questions. Matter of fact, when you're talking to Siri, you're really talking to a real personal voice. I don't know if you know it or not, but that voice belongs to a real lady. Her name is Susan Bennett. She lives right here in Atlanta. And it would really be cool and neat if Siri had all of the answers to any question that you would ask, especially life's biggest question. Well, she doesn't have the answer to life's biggest questions, but we believe there is a book that does. It's called the Bible. We believe it is God's Word. And so we decided that we would do a little fun series that we're calling Let's Get Serious, and we would, we would ask some very serious questions that people are asking Siri. Now, I want to confess that the question that we're asking today is one that I particularly am very interested in as a pastor. And quite frankly, uh, for more and more people in our country, they're thinking there really isn't a good answer to this question. And here's the question we're going to be asking today. If I am spiritual, why do I need to go to church? Now, just stop just for a moment, and, and I realize I'm preaching to the choir uh, to a lot of you this morning, but just assume that someone were to say to you, look, I'm spiritual, I, I believe in God, I read my Bible, I pray, tell me why I need to go to church. Now, for some of you, that would be a very difficult question to answer. As a matter of fact, you hear this kind of thinking expressed in statements like this. Um, I don't believe in organized religion. How many times have you heard that one? I, I just, I don't need that in my life. Uh, here's another one. I don't need to go to church to be close to God. They'll tell you, I'm already close to God. Why do I need to go to church? And then, of course, this one. I am very spiritual. I am just not religious. And oh, by the way, that statement, according to Pew Research, represents the sentiments of the fastest growing religious group right now in America. The fastest growing religious group in America is the group that says, I'm spiritual, I have a connection with God, I feel great about where I am in my spiritual journey, I just don't want to go to church. As a matter of fact, the percentage of Americans who say they seldom or never attend religious services has gone from 25% in 2003 to 30% in 2014. What's even more alarming to me is, is that with, with each succeeding generation, the percent of people attending church decreases. The only age group in America 
where over one half of the people in that age group attend church regularly are those 65 years of age and over. That's 53%. The lowest percent of the age group that attends church today in America is in the 18 to 29, where only 33% of that age group attends church, which, by the way, is one reason why we started this church. It's another reason why we started another campus. We're trying to reach the next generation. Now, what's even worse is that many 20-somethings are reversing course after having been active in church, at, uh, in church all of their lives. For example, as teenagers, more than half attended church every week. Four out of five have at least gone to a Christian church one time. Let me tell you what that means. From the time a person graduates high school to age 25, there is a 42% drop in weekly church attendance and a 58% decline from ages 18 to 29, to 29. Let me tell you what that means. That means about 8 million 20-somethings alive today who went to church as teenagers will not be active in church by their 30th birthday. So let that think in. Just, just sink in for just a moment. I want you to really kind of think about that. 8 million teenagers who are going to church today, when they reach the age of 30, will not be active in any church at all. We know in Gwinnett County, and I think this is a very conservative estimate, there are at least 300,000 people who never go to church on any given Sunday. This probably, you, you probably can relate to this. This is probably true in my neighborhood. That means at best only one out of three homes in your neighborhood ever attend church. Those are the numbers that motivated us to start this church. Those are the numbers that motivated us to start the campus at Mill Creek here. Those are the numbers that said, look, we've got to do something about this. We've been commissioned to turn those numbers around, and we want to do something about it. Now, there are a lot of people that I call dropouts. Um, these are de-churched people, not unchurched, they're de-churched, who, who for one reason or another, they either got disappointed in a church, or they got disillusioned with the church, or they got disturbed by something that happened in the church, and so they just quit going to church. And when you talk to them, uh, either the pastor said something that they didn't like, or the church took a, a stand that they didn't agree with, or they got into a conflict with someone in the church, or they just felt like the church was just out of touch and not meeting their needs, and they just left, and it happens. I, I love this story about a man that was stranded on a desert island after a shipwreck, and he spent 20 years alone on that island. Well, he was finally found and rescued, and the captain of the ship noticed that there were three huts on the island. And he said, hey, he said, well, why do you have three huts here? And the man said, well, the, the hut on the left, he said, uh, that's my house. And the man said, well, what's the hut in the middle? Well, he said, the hut in the middle, he said, uh, that's where uh, my, I go to church. That's my church. And then the man said, well, what is the hut on the right? And the guy said, well, that's where I used to go to church, but I got mad and left. Now, quite frankly, I, I, I've, I've known people, I've pastored people, they wouldn't be happy in a church if they were the only ones that went there. If they were the only ones in the building, they would eventually leave. Now, here's what's interesting. A 2012 Pew Research poll asked Americans who said, these are Americans who said, spirituality is important to me. 
religion is important to me. Having a connection to God is important to me. It's, it's somewhat important in our life. They asked these Americans who also said at the same time, but we don't go to church. We don't attend church. We just don't think it's that important or they do it very sporadically. They asked these people, okay, tell us, if you're so spiritual, so religious, so connected to God, why don't you feel it's necessary to go to church? The most common answer given by almost 40% of the people said this, the reason they quit going to church is they just didn't consider going to a worship service with other Christians that important. They just didn't consider walking into a place of worship called a church and being with other Christians was just that important to them personally. Now, let me just be honest. It is a fair question. Is going to church important? Now, the dirty little secret is you can be spiritual and not be religious. If you mean by being religious that you've got to make church mandatory to know God, I don't believe that. I don't think you've got to go to church to know God. I don't think you've got to go to church to, to be connected to God. As a matter of fact, you can even be somewhat spiritual and not go to church. So I'm, I'm admitting that. So now we're back to the question. Why should people, and especially those who claim to be devoted, sincere followers of Jesus Christ, why should people go to church. Well, here's the good news, at least for me. This is not a modern-day problem. This is not something that just cropped up in the 21st century. Actually, the, uh, the early church evidently had an attendance problem at, problem, at least with some people, because it was addressed in a book in the New Testament. So if you brought a copy today of God's Word or a smartphone or a tablet or an iPhone, whatever it is you might use, I want you to turn in the New Testament. There's a book called Hebrews. It's about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, maybe just a few books back away from the end of your Bible. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. In the early days of the church, there were some people, evidently, they began to do what more and more people are doing today. They began to, to slack off. They began to drop out. They began to sleep in. They just evidently came to a conclusion in their own life, going to church is just not that big a deal. It's just not that important, and it just really doesn't matter. And the author of Hebrews confronts these people, and he tells them why church and going to church and being involved in a church and being a part of a church and attending a church is vitally important for their relationship with God. And he reminded them of a simple truth about you and me and about our Christian faith that I want to remind you of this morning. Here's what I want you to listen to. Christianity is a team sport. Christianity is a team sport. Now, the author gives three solid reasons why Christ followers, those of us who claim to know Christ, who claim that he is our Lord and our Savior, who claim that we have accepted him into our lives, he gives three solid reasons why followers of Jesus Christ should go to church, get involved in church, be active in church, and even stay devoted to the church. And so I'm going to help you answer the question, not just for yourself, but the next time someone does come up to you with this argument, well, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious, I don't believe in organized religion, tell me why I should go to church let me tell you three reasons why we all need to be involved in a church. Number one, we need to keep each other strong. We need to keep each other strong. 
Now, three times in these verses, the author of Hebrews uses a two-word phrase, let us, not let us like you put on a salad, but let us. He says it three times, let us. And that tells us right off the bat, he's addressing the church as a whole, not just individual believers, but the believers that make up the body called the church. So he begins by saying this in verse 23, let us, that is us, those of us in church, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, the word confess literally means to agree with. It means literally to say the same thing that somebody else is saying. Let me tell you what a church is, real simple. A church is simply a group of people who come together to let everybody know we confess the same thing. For example, to be a partner with Cross Point Church, you have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have to confess that the Bible is the Word of God. You have to confess that Christ died on the cross for our sins. You have to confess that Jesus was bodily, physically raised from the dead. It is that confession that holds us together, and the author of Hebrews says we are to hold that confession together. Now, he uses that same phrase earlier back in chapter 4 when he says this. He says, since then, we have a great high priest who's talking, talking about Jesus. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that is, he's come, he's lived, he's died, he's been raised from the dead, he's now up in heaven. He said, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Since we serve a risen Lord, since we serve a Lord who's ascended into heaven, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, he said, look, we don't come to church to worship a dead prophet. We, we, we come to church to worship a risen Lord. You know, normally when somebody dies, they're quickly forgotten. And after a while, their impact on the world, you know, generally uh, disappears. You know, somebody wrote that just a few years ago, our world had Bob Hope, Johnny Cash, and Steve Jobs. Now, they said we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. Well, the truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ forever changed that because when he came back from the grave and he conquered death once and for all, he let us know there is no such a thing as a hopeless situation with him. So when we gather together at church and we walk into these doors, while much of the world stays at home, we are confessing our hope. We are saying to a world that is full of guilt, in Jesus, there is hope for forgiveness. Every time we come to church, we're saying to a world full of death that in Jesus, there is hope for life. To a world that is full of hurt, in Jesus, there is hope for healing. To a world that is full of war, in Jesus, there is hope for peace. To a world that is full of hatred, in Jesus, there is a hope for love. To a world full of brokenness, in Jesus, there is a hope for grace. Now, the author goes on in another chapter to tell the church this. He says, hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Now, I want you to listen to what he said. 
He said, our confession of hope is an anchor. Now, no ancient or modern sailor who knows what uh, can go wrong in the ocean would ever go to sea in any ship without an anchor. I mean, even the largest ships in the world, these aircraft carriers and these battleships, you would think, well, why do they need an anchor? They are so big. They're so strong. They're so powerful. As a matter of fact, they've got the biggest anchors. Why? Because they know there are going to be situations that are going to arise when the hope of that ship and all the sailors on that ship's survival would depend not on the captain, not on the crew, not on the engines, not on the compass, not on the rudder, but on the anchor. By the way, have you ever noticed that every anchor is in the shape of a cross? I find that fascinating, that our hope is really found in the cross. See, we all face problems that appear to be hopeless. I'm sure there are many of you listening to me right now, and you're saying, man, that's me. I'm in a financial situation. It's hopeless. I, I, mean, I have an emotional problem. Uh, they're hopeless. I've got marital problems. I've got physical problems. I've got personal problems. Well, every time we come together as the family of God in His church, we are reminding each other that we have an anchor for our soul, and His name is Jesus. And see, every time we come together, we can keep each other strong by holding on to our confession, reminding each other we have a hope that we hold on to. And we know it will be fulfilled because, as he said in the last part of this verse, he who promised is faithful. So when we come to church, to, we're confessing to each other and we're confessing to the world, we have put our hope in a God who is faithful, who will never fail us. So see, we need to come to church to keep each other strong. I'll tell you another reason we ought to come to church. We need to push each other forward. Now, listen to what he says in verse 24. Let us, there's that phrase again, let us consider how to stir up, big phrase here, one another. You can't do anything with one another if you're not with one another. Let us consider how to strip how to stir up one another to love and good works. Everything that the author of Hebrews is telling us is based on a principle that you need to understand, and here's the principle. The Christian life is not just a commitment to Christ. I'm going to say that again. The Christian life is not just a commitment to Christ. It is also a commitment to other Christians. Let me tell you what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. Yes, it's true. You make an individual one-on-one -on -one commitment that you are going to become a follower of Christ. I get that. But let me tell you something else. When you make that one-on-one -on -one commitment to become a follower of Christ, you are also committing yourself to others who have become followers of Christ to help them be better followers of Christ. I want to say this again. Christianity is a team sport. Say that with me right now. Christianity is a team sport. Say it again. Christianity is a team sport. We are in this together. Now, the question is, how do we do that? What, what, what exactly is it we're to do when we come together as a church family? Now, get ready. Some of you are going to love this part of this message. I mean, you, you, you're going to love what I'm about to tell you. You ready? We ought to come to church to keep eat each other stirred up. We, we are to come to church to stir each other up. 
Now, I realize for some of you, that's your spiritual gift, okay? That's, that's what you're good at, right? You love to stir things up. No, what I mean by that is we're not to come to aggravate each other, irritate each other, or frustrate each other. We are, come to, we are to come to motivate each other to love others the way we ought to love others and to serve others the way we ought to serve others. Let me ask you a question. What makes a strong marriage? I know I've, I, whereof I speak, been married almost 39 years. I've got a strong marriage. I, not a perfect marriage. I've got a strong marriage. What makes a strong marriage? It is when both spouses realize you better not go into a marriage thinking primarily about what you can get out of it. You better go into a marriage thinking primarily what you can put into it. And if you are getting out of a marriage, I can tell you this. If you're getting out of the marriage a lot more than you're putting into it, your marriage won't last very long. And I want you to notice what the emphasis here is. Listen to this. When the, when the author of Hebrews says that we ought to go to church to stir up one another to love and good works, he's saying, look, you don't go to church for what you can get out of the church. You go to church for what you can give back to the church. See, there are two things that you need in a marriage. If it's going to be a strong marriage, it's going to last. First of all, you know this. In any marriage, if it's going to last, you need two things and your spouse needs two things. Number one, you need to love and to be loved. Number two, you need to serve and to be served. I told you, Teresa and I are, are, are pushing four decades here in marriage. And I really am more in love with her today than, than the day that I married her. I love her more than ever. Let me ask you a question. How strong do you think my love would be and how long do you think we would have stayed married if we never saw each other or we just saw each other sporadically or what if we only saw each other at Easter and Christmas? You get my drift, right? I mean, how, how strong a marriage do you think we would have and how long do you think our marriage would have lasted if I never served her and I just demanded she serve me or if she never served me, she just demanded that I serve her? Listen. Do you know when we're, we're, we are hitting on all eight cylinders in our marriage? Do you know when we are absolutely the happiest in our marriage? It's when I love and I am loved. It's when I serve and I am served. It's when she loves and she is loved. It's when she serve, serves and she is served. And see, this is the way it works. When you want to be with someone, you want to be with them. And when you're with them, your love grows for them. That's the way it is with church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you love Jesus. Okay, I mean, you'd agree with that, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you love Jesus. Well, if you love Jesus, you want to be with Jesus, right? Yeah. Well, since Jesus loves the church so much, the Scripture says he gave his life for it then you can be sure when it gathers together, he is the first one there in it. I mean, that makes sense, right? He's there. Uh, it was Palm Sunday, and five-year-old Sam had to stay home because he had a, a sore throat. Well, his entire family had obligations at the church. Nobody could stay home with him, and so they got a babysitter to sit with him while they all went to church. Well, when they got home, they came walking into the house, and they were all carrying palm branches. And little five-year-old Sam said, what are the palm branches for? And, and, the, and, and the mother said, well, people held them over Jesus' head as he walked by. The boy threw his hands up and said, wouldn't you know it? The one Sunday I don't go, he shows up. Well, let, let, let me give you some news. Let me bear witness to you. 
Jesus shows up every Sunday at this church. He does. He shows up every Sunday at this church. And when you're not here, you miss him. He misses you. We miss you. And you miss us. We need to come together to keep each other strong. We need to come together to push each other forward. And then let me tell you a third reason why we ought to go to church. No matter how spiritual we are, we need to lift each other up. We need to lift each other up. Now, we come to why the author of Hebrews is even dealing with this subject to begin with. Why is he so adamant? Why is he kind of telling, giving reasons? Why is he giving an apologetic for going to church? Why is he even having to defend the fact that followers of Jesus ought to just naturally get involved in a church? Well, he says it in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Bad habits have been around for a long time, and evidently, uh, back in the day, there were people who had uh, gotten into the habit of neglecting church. By the way, the word there, to meet together, is a very interesting word. It's, uh, it's used only twice in the New Testament. It's made up of a word that gives us the English word synagogue, and, and, and then it's coupled with a, a, a preposition that means upon or in. And so literally what it means is, when you come together in the synagogue. In other words, it's referring to a particular people, that is believers, meeting in a particular place, that is the church, at a particular time, meaning the first day of the week. Well, evidently, even in the early days of the church, there were people who were not so much rejecting the church, they were just neglecting the church. It just kind of fell off their to-do list. It just wasn't a priority. And somehow they had finally decided for whatever reason that, that just being in the church with God's people, being with other people who love Jesus, being with other people who believe the Bible, being with other people who, who love God and are part of the family of God, just wasn't that important. Now, let me just stop and say something. If this was just about you and your walk with God, and your connection to God. Well, maybe you, at least for a while, could get along without church. But then this author does something, which I'm so glad he does. He reminds you it's not about you. He reminds us it's not about us. Because he goes on to th say this, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing Near. Now, let me just kind of really hone in on something. Sometimes you go to church and, and, and you kind of feel like a square peg in a round hole because you don't know where you fit. You, you know, you say, I don't know uh, what I'm really gifted to do. I don't really know where I can serve. I don't really know what, you know, what I can do to kind of help this church out. Let me help all of you today. Let me tell all of you in this room, one ministry, every one of you can fulfill Every time you walk into these buildings, every time you walk onto this campus, let me tell you one ministry you can fulfill, and I bet you've already guessed what it is. It is the ministry of encouragement, the ministry of encouragement. See, every time somebody walks into this church on Sunday, I can tell you one person that gets very encouraged. You want to take a guess who that person is? Yeah, you're looking at him. 
I promise you, every time anybody walks into this campus on Sunday to worship God and to hear the Word of God and to fellowship with other believers, I am the one that's encouraging. You see, do you know how it encourages me when you come? You know, how, you know why it's such a great encouragement? Because when you get up, even though you don't have to, when you come to church, even though nobody makes you, when you come to church and I come to church, here is what you and I are saying to each other. God is important to me. And you are important to me. You see, the person that says they don't need church, the person that says, oh, I can be spiritual without going to church. I don't need church to connect to God. Let me tell you what they're really saying. What they're really saying is, God is important to me, <laughs> but you're not. I'm real concerned <clears throat> that I'm connected to him. But I'm not all that concerned that I'm connected to you. Don't ever take for granted what an encouragement you are to me, to your friends, even to people that don't even know you who watch you come into a church. Because I'll tell you one thing's for sure, you can't encourage anybody in the church if you're not there, right? You cannot encourage anyone if you're not there. Listen, think about the human spine. This is kind of an amazing thing to me. When the spine is supported by surrounding muscles and ligaments and tendons, the spine can serve as a mighty lever that can manipulate the body in so many unbelievable ways. It can contort, it can twist, and it can lift hundreds of pounds heavier than the body that contains that spine. But you let that same spine lose the support of just a few muscles. Let that same spine use, lose the support of just a couple of tendons and some soft tissue. And it will buckle under a can of green beans. It's proven. You can take a human spine from a fresh cadaver, a corpse. You can take a human spine and it will collapse when no more than five pounds of pressure are put on it. Listen, let me tell you something. You already know what I'm going to tell you. It is a tough world out there. It's a hard life out there. It gets pretty lonely and pretty cold out there. When you come to church, you'll find the breath of love. You'll feel the warmth of encouragement. You'll step into the depth of hope. When you fellowship with God's people some way, you get energized by God's Spirit. And that's why I want to make this very practical. I want to encourage those of you who you attend church fairly regularly. You're, you're here most of the time. But that's all. You just come. I'm going to ask you to get involved. Find a place of service. Find a place of ministry. Get involved in a, in, in a, in a home group or a campus group, in a smaller group where you can really ratchet, ratchet up the level of the way you encourage others and the way they can encourage you. And then to those of you who you're just kind of hit and miss, you come when you feel like it and most of the time you don't. You just kind of come sporadically. I'm going to encourage you to raise the level of your game and start coming consistently. If you've only been coming once a month, at least try to double it. If you're coming twice a month, at least add a Sunday to it. I'm not legalistic. I'm not saying I know there are times that people need to, you know, for whatever reason you don't come to church, and we don't, we don't take attendance roles here. And I, I'm not, you know, so I, we're not into that legalistic system. I'm just simply telling you 
we need as often as we possibly can. We need to come together because we need to keep each other strong. We need to push each other forward, and we need to lift each other up. There was a professor of anthropology, and he heard about a dinosaur that, that was alive in the rainforest of South America. So he, he launched this scientific expedition to see if he could locate this dinosaur. Well, after several weeks of, 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 of beating through the jungles, and, and they found the tracks of this dinosaur, and they finally tracked this dinosaur down, or thought they had, they come into this big clearing, and there's this little man, just no taller than maybe five feet tall. There's this little man wearing nothing but a loincloth. And he was standing next to a 300-foot-long dead dinosaur. Well, the scientist couldn't believe his eyes. And he was speaking through an interpreter that knew the language. And so he said to that little man, he said, did you kill this dinosaur? And the native said, yes. And the scientist said, that dinosaur is so big and you are so small, how did you kill it? And the primitive little man said, with my club. And the scientist looked at him and, and, and he said, how big is your club? And the little man said, oh, there are about 200 of us. Now, when we walk out these doors, we're going to be walking into a world full of dinosaurs and devils and demons. We'll be walking into a world that's ready to defile us, discourage us, and defeat us. The good news is you and I don't have to face this world alone. There's a club called the church that's ready to do battle with us. And we, when we walk into the church of God and we fellowship with the people of God and we worship the Son of God, and we hear the word of God. We'll leave hand in hand with the family of God, filled with the spirit of God, and we will walk in the love of God, doing life together. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's why Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's why he gave his life, not just to save us individually, but to save us together so that together, now and forever, we could do life as a team because that's what Christianity is, a team sport. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, here's my question to you. I'm not so concerned as to how often you come to church. I just want to know, are you a part of the church? And I don't mean a local church. I mean the church. I mean the body of Christ called the church. Because listen, it doesn't matter if you don't ever miss a Sunday the rest of your life in this church or any church if you're not a part of God's church, the church, his body. And the way you do that you don't join his church. You're born into his church. His church is a family, and you get born into his family. And how do you do that? It's when you realize that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. It's when you realize that Jesus Christ was sent to this planet because you've got a problem you can't solve, and so do I. It's called sin. And because God is holy and we're sinful, we're separated from that God. 
But if we will accept what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross, came back from the dead to take care of our sin problem, we can be saved and we can know God in a personal way. And you know what one of the great benefits is? You then can become a part of a local part of that family called a church. And you get to know people you're going to spend eternity with. But if you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you the chance to do that right now. Just with his bow and eyes closed, just pray this prayer right now. If you're saying, man, I, I want to be a part of God's church and his church, this church or some church, pray this prayer right now. Just say, dear God, I want to be a part of your family. I want to be a part of the church. So today, I am letting you know what you already know. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need to be saved. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me and forgive me. I trust you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I turn away from my sinful life. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then you won't mind doing one little thing for me. I want you to take that registration card that's attached to your worship guide. You, it was a part of your worship guide that was given you this morning. I want you to tear it off. If you haven't already done it, tear it off. Take a pen or, or a pencil. There'll be one right in the chair in front of you. I want you to fill that card out completely. There's a box there that says, Today I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box right now. So fill the card out, give us some contact info, and then check that box. You may be here and you may be saying today, Well, I... I um, I've already trusted Christ. I've already given my heart to the Lord. Great. The very first thing that your Lord commands you to do once you do that is to be biblically baptized. And if you've never been biblically baptized, and that means you get baptized after you've trusted Christ, not before. So that means you need to be baptized after what you just did today. And it should be by immersion, not by sprinkling or pouring or any other method. If you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to check off that box that says, hey, I want to be biblically baptized. And then it may be there are some of you here today, and boy, God's got a hold of you, and God has spoken to you, and you're sitting there and saying, man, you, that's me. I didn't realize why it was such important. I didn't know why it was such a big deal to go to church. And I don't want to be a part of those that neglect God's church. We do need each other. We do. It's a team sport. We need to keep each other strong. We need to push each other forward. We need to lift each other up. I'm going to ask you to check off that box that says, I want to begin the partnership process of uh, the process of becoming a partner with Crosspoint Church. Now, what do you do with those cards? All right, real easy. When the service is over, you can do one of two things, both here or at the Sugarloaf campus. There are boxes all around our, our auditorium. They're called giving centers. They're boxes with slots. You could just drop your decision card in that slot. What we'd really rather you do here at the Sugar Lo at the uh, Mill Creek campus, Pastor Chad and I are going to be out at the lobby. We'd love for you to come bring us your card. Come, come let us know the decision you've made for Jesus today. 
We've got pastors that will be out at, at our pastor's table out at the Sugarloaf campus. Please go by and see them. And oh, by the way, if you're a guest of ours today, make sure you fill out that card and let us know that you've been here. And again, you can either drop that card in the slot. What I wish you would do is come see us or one of our pastors at Sugarloaf. We have a gift that we want to give you just for being a, a part and just being a guest of ours today. My Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that as a nine-year-old boy, I became not just a part of the church, I became a part of your church. And Lord, my prayer would be not just that those of us here would be more committed to this church, but Lord, we'd be about the business of inviting other people to be a part of a place where people will lovingly keep them strong, push them forward, and lift them up. And I pray this in Jesus' name.